Good I'm Ian, and I get to be the stewardship pastor at Freedom Center Church. And thank you for, for joining us today, whether you're at one of our uh, in-person campuses or on live stream. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Today, I am uh, given the, the honor of teaching on something that's really near and dear to my heart, and that's parenting. And I know uh, some of you may be listening right now and hear, oh, he's talking about parenting. What a, uh, I, I don't have kids, or maybe I don't want kids, or I'm done raising children. And, and I understand. I've, I've been in your seat, and I, I know what that's like. But I, I hope that today, um, while it is, we will be talking about parenting, something that I've learned uh, through life and through this study, that parenting is not just raising children, but it's also discipleship. Paul had um, uh, someone that he mentored or discipled named Timothy, and Paul referred to Timothy as his son in the faith, his child. And I would imagine that Timothy saw Paul as a father. So whether you have children or, or are praying for children or trying, I, I, we're just we're praying with you and alongside you that you would grow, that hopefully today what we teach on and what we learn together because this is something the Lord's doing a work in my heart today as well. Um, I, I just pray and hope that this is something we can carry, whether we're raising children, will raise children, or use it to disciple others. So this is my family. Um, we are a crazy, crazy family. We, uh, I have Levi here. Um, he's the little one, the little towhead that I'm carrying. Uh, he is our first. He's four and a half. And our daughter there, Eleanor, who sneakily is... Uh, the crazy one of the bunch. Uh, she makes it seem like she's a sweetheart, but um, yeah, she's she's a, a real treat. And then in the middle there is my wife, Megan, who we actually just celebrated her birthday. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say how old she is, but it was the first anniversary of her 29th birthday. So she turned 30 yesterday. Megan, um, whether you're uh, in our Linden campus or online, or um, you would know her and see her as one of our worship leaders, and I, I, her character is unlike anyone else I've ever met. She loves you, Freedom Center, so deeply and so much. And she is such a wonderful spouse and a wonderful uh, wife. And I just want to celebrate her because it was her birthday. So, um, and I just want to use this as a, as a note. Uh, as you can see, I don't have teenagers. I don't have young adult children. Um, perhaps my greatest qualification as a parent is that I have a dog who can both sit and stay. So um, I'm not going to be able to speak directly to the teenage parents or the, you know, all the different walks of life of parents, but I hope, because today we're not talking about my experiences as a parent, today we're talking about what the Bible teaches about parenting. So that's what we're going to focus on today, because what the Bible has to say about parenting is, is a fruit, is, is a, a beautiful lessons, they are beautiful lessons that um, we can carry with us that are tried and true. What we're seeing nowadays is the opinions of parenting is shifting so rapidly. Uh, and I have a couple examples from the early 1900s and even today. Um, in 1911, there was, a, there was a book that was written that discussed uh, you know, how to raise your children. And it actually informed parents, this is 1911, that if you held your kids just for the sake of it, you were in danger of raising little tyrants. Heaven forbid you gave your kids love and affection. Uh, even Go even further, 1929, the U.S. Department of Labor, they gave out an infant care package. And they made sure that parents were reminded that if, if you allow your kids, if your baby, your baby needs to learn that habitual crying will only lead to their parents ignoring them. Heaven forbid parents give attention to their kids. And we can go even further. Right nowadays, uh, the, the direction that you have to lay your children seems to, seems to shift every five to 10 years because of 51%, 49% chance, whatever. I, I think that there are so many shifting opinions 
about what parenting should or should not look like. I mean, just go on Amazon and search parenting book. You'll see tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of different responses. And some of that advice may be good. Some of it might not be, but uh, I'm almost certain that we'll be making fun of all of it in another hundred years. But the Bible and what it says about parenting is still true. So uh, perhaps as things are shifting, perhaps there's a constant. So as we talk about what the Bible says about parenting, I want to focus on um, what the goal of a parent is and the goal of a parent is not. So the ideal outcome in raising a child is not that they live a pain-free life full of blessings. That's, I, I think we all want, wish this for our kids. And, and I think that um, if we were to raise our kids as a pain-free life, maybe that's where we get the little tyrants. But I think that the, the ideal outcome in raising your children is that they fall in love with their creator and then they fall in love with the reason they made, that he made them. So I'll say that again. The ideal outcome as a parent is not that our kids have uh, a six-figure job in the hills of California or um, up north, wherever, in this beautiful cottage, and they have all the things that they could ever want, full of blessings, the, the white picket fence and the two-car garage that's attached and heated. I, I think that if that's all we did as parents, I think that we're failing as believers. I think that the ideal outcome in raising our children is they fall in love with Jesus. And they live a, a, just a committed, fruitful life following and obeying him and walking in the reason that he created them. And I think that if we do that, then the blessings of the Lord, that there's a fullness to that life. I think that if, if we do those things, then we're succeeding as parents. Uh, Wayne Rice in his book, Generations to Generations, said it like this. Every child must find their own way to faith. Every child must find their own way to faith. But God has appointed you as a parent to serve as a means of grace through which he draws his children to himself. So Pastor Jim refers to Ephesians 2.10 just about every time he draws breath. Um, You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared and advanced for you. And as a parent, as an individual, maybe not necessarily as a parent, but as an individual, I can apply that to myself and use that on a day-to-day basis. I can use that. That I was created in Christ Jesus. I am his workmanship. He prepared something for me in advance for me to do, to be obedient, right? But as a parent, it's very, very easy to take that which he said about me and apply it to Levi or apply it to Eleanor and say, well, I'm a pastor, so therefore Levi should be a pastor. Megan is a wonderful worship leader, so both of my kids should be in vocal lessons by the time they can draw breath. And as soon as they can, you know, we, we realize, oh yeah, they got good lungs. Every infant's got good lungs. Let's put them in vocal lessons. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, Levi has a calling that he was knitted in his mother's womb, not by me, not by Megan, but by God himself, knitted him in his mother's womb. And then he created a workmanship, created a masterpiece. And in Christ Jesus, he prepared works in advance for Levi. So maybe, perhaps, Levi won't be a pastor. Maybe, perhaps, um, his mother would hate me saying this, but maybe, perhaps, he won't be a worship leader. But that God created Levi to be a missionary. But God created Eleanor to be an engineer. But God created Levi to be a carpenter. And it's more important for me as a parent to, to unravel my children to be who God created them to be, whether it's a pastor or a worship leader or an engineer or a missionary or um, the multitude of careers that you could be doing. None of those are bad as long as they're being obedient. <clears throat> Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. And, and this is one of our favorite verses as parents. Um, 
training your child up in the way they should go, not the way I should go, the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. And um, Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary for this verse, says it this way. Train up a child in the way they should go, but make sure you're going that way first. I'm going to say that again because I don't think you heard me. Train up a child in the way they should go, but make sure you go that way first. I think it's very, very easy. And this is moms and dads. This is not for... Um, for, for the elementary teacher, that if, if you don't live a life that is going the direction that you hope that your children will go, if you're not living a life that, that is fruit-filled, that is following the Lord, that is obedient to Jesus, if you don't go that direction first, I promise you that your children will, when they grow old, they probably, maybe not probably, I, I, but there's a good chance that they, won't follow, they will follow in your model. Right? If all we do, moms and dads, if all we do is uh, take our kids to school, drop them off with um, the next-gen departments with Brianna or Marissa or, um, or Pastor Maddie or, or Betsy and, and hope, just hope that hopefully they'll instill the morality that the Bible shows, that they'll teach them about Jesus, that they'll, they'll lead them to a spirit-filled, obedient life of Christ. But then when they come home, we don't do anything about it. We don't even talk about what they discussed at church. We don't pray with our children. We don't read our Bibles with our children. We don't pray for our children. We don't do these things. If, if Which one is a louder voice? So what we're going to focus on first today is making sure that we, as parents, we as those that disciple, we as those that raise, we as those that train and mentor, that we are first going in the direction. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. That's, this is called the Shema. It's a, it's a great and powerful prayer. I'd encourage you um, to memorize this. This is such a powerful uh, beginning uh, step in your prayer life, a, a beginning step for your day even. And, and what this is, is, is Moses is collecting um, kind of the, the instructions for Israel as they're about to enter into the promised land. They've been, they've been wandering the desert for 40 years and just before they can enter into the promised land, the Lord gives Moses a list of, this is what you need to do. These are the basic instructions for following me as you enter into the promised land. Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses uh, 4 through 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words, which I command to you today, will be in your heart. This is the way. This is the direction that we should raise our kids up to go. When we train our children up in the way they should go, this is a foundational starting point. This is a place when, when I say love the Lord your God with all of your heart, that's your passions, your desires, affections, our spiritual life, everything that we feel and think, this is our heart. And I think, you know, if we, we can set a powerful example for our children, if we, we love the Lord with our passions and our desires, we allow him to, to be a part of these things, right? Our soul is the breath of life, which God breathed into man to make him a living being. Just, I love you, Lord, because of who you are and who you created me to be. And with our mind, we're, it's, it's through our thoughts, because our thoughts lead to actions and habits and lifestyles. So if we truly love the Lord, our God, with our heart, our passions, we allow him to be a part of them. With our soul, the, our very breath of life, and with our mind, our thoughts, which lead to our actions, we are setting an amazing example for our children. Because in Deuteronomy 6-7, the author says this, you shall teach them diligently to your children. I'm here to tell you that if you want to be a great parent that, that leads your children to Jesus, which is one of the great privileges of being a parent. 
If you want your children to live a spirit-filled life following Jesus, if you want to, them to love the Lord, because, and, and I'm going to take a step back here, because there may be some of you that, that are wondering, well, why would I want this? Or why, what's the benefit, right? The benefit. And um, besides getting into a personal relationship with our Creator, which is one of the great, greatest things that we can do, study after study has shown that God's ways are better. God's ways are higher. God's ways are truer. Through, through COVID and through shutdown, there was only one demographic culturally that actually improved in happiness. And it was those that would, we would consider Jesus followers, those that engaged in some form of community centered around Jesus, that spent time in the Word, that spent time in prayer, that spent time worshiping Him, that, that saw that our circumstances were not limited to whether or not we could go outside or whether or not we could spend time um, and, and go to certain things. That was the only demographic, those that were obedient to the Lord. If you want to avoid divorce, wait to get wait to move in with your, your future spouse until you get married. Don't sleep with them. Study after study says the divorce rate plummets when you do things God's way. And there's study after study that, that whether it's from outside the church or from within the church, that doing things God's way is the way to pr- produce a fruit-filled life that's full of, of wellness and healthiness and happiness. There's a joy that, that surpasses all understanding because it comes from He who created joy. He who is joy. So as, we, as, we, as I challenge you to teach these things to your children, you know, in Deuteronomy 6, when the Shema is introduced at the very bottom of that chapter, um, the author says that when your children come to you and ask, why do we do these things? Why do you love the Lord this way? Why do we follow his commands? Why, 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 why? When your children ask you this, it doesn't tell you to, to begrudgingly answer, well, I guess... We were in the desert for 40 years, so I guess we owe it to him. And, you know, that one time we asked for, for, for protein and he gave us quail. And, you know, that, you know, the more I think about it, the food wasn't all that bad. You know, or he gave us water. When it was bitter, he cleaned it. So I guess we just owe it to him because it's the least we can do. No, no, no. What the book of Deuteronomy tells us to, to respond to our children is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob rescued me. He rescued me from the wilderness. And he can rescue you too. He can rescue you from the sin in your heart. He can rescue you from the despair of life. He can provide you joy and he can provide you wholeness because in his, in, in, in a life full of his obedience, it, there is something that the world can never offer. There's a, a fulfillment that the world can never offer because we are returning to our creator who created us. And, and I, I would just encourage you as we talk about this and as we discuss this, and, and I'm going to give you some verses about parenting that you can take home and, and study with your spouse. I just, I just pray that you would enter into a, just, just have a, an open heart posture to give God a chance to show you what happens when you follow him and when you're obedient to him. So the Shema gives us this model, and the model is this, live an obedient life following the Lord, and then teach that way to your children. And, and I'm going to ask you a hard question. Because I, I, Megan and I, we ask ourselves the same question quite often. And it's this. Is your lifestyle, is the lifestyle you're living and the lifestyle you model to your children even worth replicating? Mark Twain says this. Children are natural mimics who act like their parents despite every effort to teach them good manners. I, you know, it's really easy to, um, I think we've all or heard of or we've seen the the conversation, people joking about it, but the parent that sits on the couch taking a drag of their cigarette saying, 
you know, you probably shouldn't smoke. And I don't know that that's how we should follow the Lord. Paul in the book of Philippians says this, and this is a great model for us as parents. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. How are we following Christ? How are, are we allowing him to do a great and mighty work in our hearts that we can then show to our children, that we can, we can diligently model to our children what it looks like to, to study scripture, to fall in love with him, to have time with him in the mornings or time with him in the evenings, to involve the Lord in our conversation at dinner to talk about him when we're on our way. If we're in, involving the Lord in our lives, in our walk, and allowing ourselves to be raised up by him, our father of lights, then modeling a life following him to our children and, and correcting and disciplining and, and showing them this way, there's, there's something there that we, we can, there's, there's a fulfillment. There's an ability to have your children do what God created them to be. So let's talk about what the Bible says about Parenting. So the Bible says uh, quite a bit. I would argue that most of the Bible is about parenting. God is our Father in heaven, and the whole book, the whole Bible, all of Scripture is about His character and how He cares for, corrects, rebukes, restores, and loves His people. So as we read Scripture, we're being revealed who God is. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8 says that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness and love, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So as we parent, we can look to our Father in heaven as this perfect example of a parent who forgives, who's compassionate, who's gracious. So these sets of verses you see here on your screen, take a screenshot, take a photo. Um, these are 27 verses that I found that are specifically about parenting. Obviously, there's more, um, but this is just the set of 27 that I found um, through, through a little bit of study time. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to click over to this next screen because this, these that are now bolded, this 15 set, so 15 out of the 27, carry the largest theme over the course of all of these 27. These 15, is this is the strongest theme throughout those verses. And the theme is this, discipline your children. So, so that leads me to understand that biblical parenting involves discipline, that, that correcting our children is important. Now, um, some of you may, may now feel like, hey, it's, now it's go time. Let me get the, the rod of correction out and go run home. But I'm gonna, we're going to talk about what discipline looks like. And I would go a step further. We talk about discipline, but I think biblical parenting is discipleship. And I, I mentioned this earlier, but as we disciple and discipline, we aren't molding a child from scratch as God did with Adam, that's his job, right? God formed and created our children in their mother's womb, right? He, he made a masterpiece that, that in Christ Jesus, he prepared good works in advance for them. The Lord has created a model and all we are to do as parents is to unravel them. So as we disciple, we don't, we don't discipline saying, hey, we don't do that. The Perry family, we don't act that way. The Perry family doesn't do that. No, no, no. When we correct, we have to say, this is how Lord wants us to do these things. And I would go so far as to say, I am most frustrated with my children when they act like me. I am most upset with them when, when Levi can't pay attention because I haven't properly modeled how to give uh, you know, full engagement. When Eleanor responds frustratedly because things didn't go her way, because I didn't model patience and self-control, I am most proud of my children when they look like Jesus. 
I am most proud. I'll tell you a story. Megan and I were um, out and about, and we had promised Levi um, candy at the end of the day. Uh, there was a candy store where we were at at the time, and we promised him. Hey, they had been listening so well. They had been. They hadn't fought in at least two minutes. So we promised him candy, and as every good parent should do every once in a while, and we get to the candy store at 5:07, and they closed at five. The cashier was already counting up the cash. There was no. It was. There was no chance. A four-year-old. Now, those of you who have four-year-olds, and even two-year-olds, know that um, you got to prepare for the meltdown. You've been. You promised something, and it didn't happen. And Levi kind of looks in the store, looks at all the candy, and <sighs> takes a deep breath, turns around, looks at me, and says, "It's okay, Daddy. We'll go back tomorrow." And I don't know that I've ever responded in such a way. And perhaps it was something that Megan or I had modeled, that we had looked like Jesus in certain areas that, that Levi was able to look. But I promise you, that was not a response that looked like Ian. That was not a response that looked like Megan. That was a response that looked like Jesus. And he can't read yet. So I, I, I don't know that he was able to open up the scriptures and learn deeply about what self-control means or patience or hope deferred. But rather, perhaps, the example that, that Megan and I had shown as parents, showing Jesus to him, allowed him to reflect Jesus in that moment. So as we, as we raise up our children, as we discipline them, I'm going to introduce you to a fun Greek word today. Um, it's called paideia. Um, paideia um, is at one level the transfer of a way of viewing the world from the teacher to the student. Um, at another, it shapes and forms a child in terms of his or her desires, passions, and loves. It is essentially the part of upbringing and education that forms the soul of a human being. It's the key to formation of a culture. Put another way, Padea is a description of the values we actually love, the truth we actually believe, and what we assume about the nature of our world. So when we look at a lot of the uses of the word discipline or uh, in, the, in the New Testament, Padea is the word that's actually being referred to. Now, why is this important? I'll tell you. Because when we, when we use Padea to raise up our children, we have two uh, directions that we can go as parents. This can be done intentionally or unintentionally. I can model to my children um, on purpose. This is how we behave. And when I look at Levi, I can say, hey, you are a, a kind, compassionate young man. Kind, compassionate young men don't act that way. Or I can say, hey, I don't like how you behaved in that moment. So, so Padea is, is the philosophy. When we model to our children how to live, how to love, how to obey the Lord, we have to be intentional about this. We have to discipline to this. We have to correct to this. Because when, when I look and say, hey, you know, we are passionate Jesus followers as a family, we have to make sure that that is instilled in our children and that involves some level of correctedness and discipline. Now, as we talk about discipline, um, the Bible is actually pretty clear about something we're not to do. And that's said in Ephesians 6.4. It says, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So now that word anger... Um, is, is actually quite a bit bigger of a word um, when we look at the fullness and the original intent. Um, you know, some ver versions actually say don't exasperate or make things worse. Um, but that word in fullness, um, as described in, the, um, in another version of the Bible, is do not exasperate them. So don't make things worse to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them. So, so what this means is don't, when you discipline your children, when you correct your children, don't do it in such a way that's going to cause them to resent you. 
that's going to cause them to hate the commands of the Lord, right? Because we have to, the Bible says Jesus teaches us to love the commands, right? Because the commands, when, when God says to do something or to not to do something, it's not, uh, he's not a, an angry God with, a, a, you know, trying to, to hurt us. He's actually trying to, to help us to be who he created us to be. So, and then we want to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord so that bring them up is to do so tenderly with loving kindness. I, I think if, if I behave, if, if Levi behaves in a way um, angrily or frustratedly and I don't do a good job modeling patience to him, I can't expect him to respond with patience. So I shouldn't correct him for something that I can't even do with, with such a, a hard force and, and these demands that humiliate him or show favoritism or indifference to them. It's so, so important that when we correct them, we bring them up tenderly and with loving kindness. And I'll show you in a couple pictures what I think biblical discipline looks like. So here's our first picture here. Um, as you see, the, the, the road is kind of front and center. Uh, there's no clear boundaries. There's no guardrails on either side. There's no uh, lane in the middle. You can't really see your destination all that well, although the, the view is quite pretty. Um, you can't see your destination. It's just off in the corner. But the only thing that I see are the potholes and the dirt. And I have to be very careful as I drive because I could hit a pothole. I could, um, you know, I have to swerve out of the way. And sometimes I may, may need to even get off of the road to make sure that I, I don't, cry, you know, I, I avoid something that would happen. And if we're not disciplining to something that someone was created for, right? If I'm not correcting Levi to be who God created him to be, rather I'm being reactionary to the moment. I'm only treating these, these temporary outbursts or these behavioral things not as um, moments to unravel my child so that Levi or Eleanor can, can use these emotions and use these expressions of their emotions in a manner that glorifies the Lord. I just say, I don't like that. We have to get rid of it. So I have to ask myself, am, as I raise my children up, am I being reactive to the potholes or am I being proactive? Do I have a clear de destination? Do you have a clear destination? Have you prayed for your children and fasted and, and searched the scriptures for, for things that you can, you can speak over them and pray over them? Have we, have we even taken this thing that the Lord has trusted us with, being our children? Have you even taken this thing to the Lord to say, Lord, I, I need your help and I need you to real, reveal to me what it is that you have for them so that I can be obedient to this? And I, I think as we discipline and as we correct, as we, we evaluate ourselves as parents, we should be asking ourselves, am I unraveling God's creation or do I just not like that behavior? So this image here, this is a better image of what I think um, parenting and discipline within parenting should look like. As you can see, the, the, the destination is the focus. There's clear, the road has been well taken care of. It's very clear. The guardrails are there. The lanes are there. There's even markers on the side of the road to tell you how far you are to or from your destination. And there's clear boundaries because when, when I see the destination, I can remind myself and my children who they were created for and who they were created by. So that when I discipline them and when I correct them, it's not shame on you for doing that thing. I can remind Eleanor, Ali, you are... You are a wonderful creation of the Lord who loves so, so tenderly. And loving creations of the Lord that love tenderly don't act this way. 
And it, it, it's an opportunity not to, to speak down and shame her for be, her behavior, but remind her who she was created for and to, so that her behaviors are in the lane that they're called to be. So I said this at the beginning, and I'll say this again. The ideal outcome in raising a child is not that they live a pain-free life full of blessings. It's that they fall in love with Jesus, and then they fall in love with the reason he created them. What a beautiful honor it is to be a parent. So as we close out today, I just want um, to say that you know, if, if perhaps your parents weren't a great model, if perhaps your parents fell short, as we all do, right? You know, Megan and I talk a lot about, um, you know, we want to unravel our children to be who God created them to be. But also we acknowledge that they're going to have to unlearn some things that we've taught them because we fall short. Only our Father in Heaven is a perfect parent. But if that's you, if, if your parents didn't live up to this model, if your parents didn't show the Lord or give you a good example, I promise you that our Father in Heaven is such a good, loving, kind Father who would meet your needs, that would show you, that would walk with you as a parent. And, and I would just, I would, I give you this opportunity to, to, to approach Him with, with an open heart posture and allow Him to, to, to do a great and mighty work in your heart so that you can, you can give that to your children or those that you discipline or those that you disciple um, that can redeem all of those things. So thank you so much, Linden Campus, for, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Livestream, for joining us today. And we hope to see you soon. Thanks so much for taking the time out, and we love you 3,000. Have a great day.